Long ago, in the ancient kingdom of Asia Minor, there lived a sultan whose name was Shaka Khan, and who claimed to be a direct descendant of the great Genghis Khan. It was only a claim, but then being sultan gave him the right to lay claim to whatever he wished. His word was law. It was good to be the sultan. Among the sultan's greatest treasures was the most charming and beautiful harem in all of Asia Minor, and among them was a jewel. I would do anything for love, but I won't do dildos. It's not what I heard. No, I'll definitely do dildos. My notes go. They're all gone with the Pizza Hut website. You got hacked trying to order a pizza and it took all your porn notes. No! I got hacked. It was the Russians. (laughs) Oh, fuck. Oh, I started recording almost two minutes ago. I forgot that I started recording. No tease at all. Well, welcome back once again to the Raincoat <laughs> Report, the show where we've been recording for a few minutes now. We're a podcast and talk about adult films of the, the golden age. Yes, we do. And sometimes we talk about um, newer ones, but today we're not. Today, <laughs> today we're, we're do, not. Today we're doing the normal thing and talking about an old one. So... While we are talking about that, is it true, and I'm trying to think back, that we've covered exactly one film later than 1990? Because I think that that's the case. That might be the case. I think it was just sexual parasite. Yeah. we There's there's a couple more modern-ish films that we should probably cover. Yeah. At this point, I'm just lying. (laughs) <laughs> same sometimes we do we did it once <laughs> yeah let's do it um, all right well, well we'll work on that some other time but we've already watched a film this week that we're going to discuss which is not from later than 1990 no it's from 1981 in fact yes it is and today we are talking about a thousand and one erotic nights by edwin brown a thousand and one erotic nights is a a fun little time Again, directed by Edwin Brown in 1981. Uh, we do have a star-studded cast here. We have uh, Annette Haven in the mm-hmm. role of Shahrazad, mm-hmm. and John Leslie as Sultan Khan. Mm-hmm. Sultan Shaka Khan. Uh, yes, in fact, he is Sultan Shaka Khan. <laughs> uh, we have Lisa DeLeo as the Sultana, the Sultan's wife. Uh, Herschel Savage as the traitorous General Sargon. Yes. And uh, even Joey Silvera as a dancing boy. <laughs> yes. Just a, a fine little dancing boy. Uh, Paul Thomas, May Lynn, Tiger, John Martin. Uh, we have quite a cast in front of us and several names that I'm less familiar with. Sure. Uh, but this is a nice little production from the glossier time in adult films 1981 Mm -hmm. um vinegar syndrome put this out as a double feature with a thousand and one erotic nights part two yes i saw that there was a part two that i'm sure we'll have to watch i think that it's really important for us to cover that at one point 
because it is a good demonstration of how the shrinking of budgets change things in adult films. Uh, part two was also shot on film, mm-hmm. but you can really tell the change in budget from 1981 to 1988. Okay, yeah, that's a pretty big gap of what happened. Uh, well, I'm sure did, there. but uh, uh, I will say don't uh, don't poo-poo part two just yet. There was definitely a uh, a cut in budget, but we still have Jamie Gillis in it, and we oh. have uh, Francois Papillon in a role as well. Okay, well, yeah, we'll definitely have to uh, get to that one. Get to the poo-poo. We will get to it, but. Regardless, uh, it, it, it is still interesting to compare because uh, these sets, for example, are a lot less complicated in the later film. Uh, but there's still some to love there. But in this one, we have quite a bit to love. Mm-hmm. Uh, the lovely Annette Haven and John Leslie being the center of this. But we get uh, several different stories that cast several of the people that I mentioned and several people that I have not mentioned. Yes. It's in a, uh, erotic roles. Yes. And as you may guess from the title, it is a bit of an anthology film. It is indeed. Um, it mostly centers around like two or three, like big scenes and characters. Yeah. And get to see famous faces and not so famous faces and fluids that secrete from them. <laughs> Yes, that's that's a wonderful description of the film. <laughs> that's what sex is. Uh, I am super excited because uh, two days from the day that I'm recording this, I am returning to the office after a year and a half, oh, and I have ex- to go to work every day. <laughs> that doesn't sound like something to be excited about. I am not. I am actually super bitter about it, but I'm going to try to like not be a dick. Okay. Uh, if I was working from home and they tried to send me back i would i don't know they wouldn't want me back in that office i tell you what (laughs) the worst thing is that during the time that i've been work at home i've changed office locations because like my my previous role got eliminated and then i had to reapply for another role uh but this new role is going to have me driving like probably 40 minutes to get to the office oh my god so that's going to be like almost an hour and a half every day that I spend on commute that if I was working from home, I wouldn't have to. No. And also, my job can be completed 100% remotely, as the last year and a half has proven. Just uh, don't go back. Refuse. And like, I think that we're not even doing like in-person meetings at this point. Oh my god. So I'm going to be in the office on a Skype call for the meetings that I have to do. I'm like bosses are just who's deciding these things they're maniacs yes they are maniacs so i am super uh anxious about all of that but by the time anybody hears this i'll have already been in the office for over a week and we'll see if perhaps i'll already have died of covid but we'll see i think you might be fine i'll probably be fine you've uh i think you might get uh i don't know there used to be when i worked in an office there was a guy who had a this Louisville slugger bat that was like up on like display, like at the top of the thing. And so often I would walk past it and things like, what if I just grabbed it and just started just, just smashing, <laughs> you know, 
Yeah, I could see that. I feel like the people that manage my workplace would not allow a slugger bat to be on display for that particular reason. I uh, thought about it a lot. I never did it. I should have. You should always just smash stuff if you get a chance. If the Raincoat Report can teach our listeners anything, it should be that if everything else kind of has you down, just start smashing. Yeah, I love to smash. If I get in a bad mood, I'll I'll just bust something up. (laughs) (laughs) Just take a hammer to it. I don't care. Uh, Let your rage loose. Just wrap a golf club around a tree. (laughs) I don't know. You know, um, but I'm going to work on my anger and we're going to take a quick break. Uh, Yes, we will. And then we'll be back to talk about a thousand and one erotic nights. listen to more Rush Limbaugh, dead or alive. Okay. I don't think you have to. I told you to, but that was like a joke. A humor joke. It was kind of like a laugh. Just a little lampoon. Except nobody laughed. A guffaw. (laughs) (laughs) I got it. I got that laugh. Alright, tell me about these erotic nights because it's getting dark outside. We don't want our erotic day turning into an erotic night. Not Before yet. we get a chance to talk about the erotic nights. I want to watch Ticks. Oh, yeah, we are going to watch Ticks. It's going to be great. I'm excited. Yeah, everybody, our listeners, just in case you don't know, Vinegar Syndrome just released a new 4K disc of Ticks in 4K HDR, directed by the same guy who directed the second... Hellraiser film, as well as the best Amityville sequel, It's About Time. Oh. Actually, I don't know. Maybe Amityville 2 is the best one. It has the weird incest plot line that's a lot of fun. Okay. It's About Time has a little bit of an incest plot line, but it doesn't go quite as far as 2 did. It's got more melting. It does have more melting. And that's what counts. I think 3 is my least favorite Amityville film. I think that's a consensus. At least from the... Up to the mid '90s, the ones that I've seen. I think it has uh, like a six percent on like Rotten Tomatoes. It's pretty <laughs> low. Like uh, sometimes on your like Plex server, I'll sort like by like critic rating and stuff, and just see what's real low. And yeah. that's consistently been down there since I've like started doing that. It's it's got some good to it. It's definitely cool in 3D. There's some fun effects in it, but it's not great and. Yeah. Uh, the one after that's a little bit better. It was a TV movie. Yeah, uh, The Evil Amity. Escapes. Yes, The Evil yeah. Escapes. That's a fun one. Yeah. Um, uh, it's I not think... great, but it's got some moments. It's about movie. an evil lamp. I love evil lamps. Uh, I love them better than good lamps. But the one after The Evil Escapes is Amityville 1992. 
It's About Time. Yes. Which is a delight. Mm, that's a fantastic one. Uh, and that is followed by Amityville, A New Generation, which is about an evil mirror. Mm-hmm. It's About Time, to go back a second, is about an evil clock. Yeah, if you weren't sure. Uh, the New Generation takes place on Skid Row in L.A. and is about an evil mirror. Mm-hmm. And then we have the Amityville Dollhouse, which yes. is about, if you can't guess it, an evil dollhouse. Yes, and you watched one recently that was about something else evil. Oh, that's right. I recently watched the Amityville Vibrator. Mm-hmm. Um. I don't. I feel like maybe we should cover it on the show. I'm not sure. It's only 60 minutes long, but it's definitely something that you could easily see a Bleeding Skull article about. Yeah. Uh, other than the fact that they don't cover things quite this modern, because I think it's like 2018 in, or something. They get into some modern stuff. They've got some stuff going. Like, they'll do, like, new stuff for, like, short, weird films. Okay. But, like,. They'll write stuff up to like the least like the mid two thousands. I feel like, but so uh, maybe it'll show up. Hopefully it does because it's mm. got a lot of weird stuff going on to it. There's a lot of explicit masturbation, which I wasn't sure that there was going to be anything beyond uh, some tits in this film, and there definitely was quite a bit more. Uh, with the name Amityville Vibrator, I would expect at least a little masturbation. Uh, but there's quite a bit of it. Excellent. And uh, the film is just bananas. There is like a six or eight minute long scene (laughs) that is uh, a character who's played by the director, mind you, Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, another female actress, her character, just tripping balls in in the woods and just hanging out and talking. And they randomly say some things that kind of relate to the plot. But really, it's just like six or seven wasted minutes of the film. It sounds beautiful. Um, it's definitely got the feeling of one of those Bleeding Skull films where you're like, this is cool, this is cool. I don't know why there's seven minutes of tripping in this film. Yeah, but yeah. I definitely recommend those uh, out there to check out the Amityville Vibrator because it is a brain-melting trip through madness that jeremy needs to watch sometime soon okay i'm gonna watch it now and it's only an hour long well you talk about this movie for an hour i'm gonna watch okay uh i have just gotten a lot of alcohol into my system so i'm going to try my best to get through this i think you can do it so uh a thousand and one erotic nights uh is actually introduced with a title card that says shaharizard that actually says fucking illiterate (laughs) Scheherazade 1001 erotic nights so like Scheherazade is almost the primary title as far as the title cards concerned the subtitle so we get introduced with some narration to the sultan Shaka Khan yes (laughs) Um, which this is not quite as funny in 1981 as it is, you know, in the 90s or later. Yeah. But uh, Shaka Khan uh, claimed to be the descendant of Genghis Khan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and once again, this is the Sultan played by John Leslie, the delightful gentleman mm-hmm. that we mm-hmm. all know and love with his weird cock skin. Yeah, he does have that cock skin. We'll see it. 
<laughs> the little loop there. Yeah, you just put your keys on it. <laughs> Is John Leslie still alive? Uh, I don't. I don't know. I'm gonna. If not, I'm gonna kill him. You should look it up real quick. Anyhow. The narration kind of sets the scene and talks about how among his great treasures, he had the greatest harem in all of Asia Minor. And among them, he had a jewel. Her name was Shahrazad, and she lived by her wits. We see kind of an introduction to Shahrazad, again, played by Annette Haven. Um, it pans up her legs oh. and up to her breasts. And no, he her died face. in 2010. Aw. Yeah, it's been a while. That's further in the past than I would have liked to have heard. Yeah, sorry. It's been... John Leslie lived quite a life, though. Yes, he... As these films have shown us. (laughs) Yeah, he used to be a a con. He used to be a key member in the con family. Yeah. (laughs) So we learn more about the Sultan, uh, John Leslie... Who is married, and he's also at war at this point. Uh, He's married to the woman who we just called the Sultana in this film, who's again played by Lisa DeLeo. Yes. Uh, Lovely raincoat report favorite. Yes, I'm glad to see her back, even in a small role. Yes. The Sultan watches this guy who's swallowing fire, and uh, he's talking to his advisor who's giving him astrology advice, basically. Yeah, I think he's just a royal, like, you know, back then that was science. Oh, yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah you know, back then that's what you went through. Uh, it didn't take long for some brown face to appear. <laughs> that's right. There is quite some brown face on this astrologer who... I assume is, I mean, all of these people, I guess, are supposed to be like Middle Eastern or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, West Asian or what have you. Yeah, but, just uh, in that general area. Uh, you know, again, it's the Thousand and One Nights is the basis of this, which would go back to, you know, Arabic folklore. Yes. Uh, and... At least John Leslie's face isn't really painted brown or anything. No, he's just normal colored but uh his advisor sure is yeah they they dress <laughs> he has him up. like a curly mustache and like is i guess is is uh an asian stereotype of some sort yeah, he's got like a fu manchu type yeah. thing although he's not quite a fu manchu man. no he's got like some kind of like fake slanted eyes and yeah it's, it's like something face. that would fit in one of those fu manchu films for sure Uh, The narrator tells us that the Sultan trusted his wife, but unfortunately, we cut away to Herschel Savage, who's fucking the Sultana, Lisa DeLeo. Herschel Savage is playing the role of General Sargon, who is, of course, the Sultan's trusted general, but the Sultan's trusted general is fucking the Sultan's wife. Uh Uh-oh. So uh, he's fucking her in his tent. On some, like, animal skin rug covering what's probably a mattress underneath. Sure. The general pulls out, and the sultana begs for him to put it back in. He teases her a bunch, and she talks about how he'll be sultan soon. He asks her if the sultana commands it, and she says yes. And he says he'll obey, and then he penetrates her again. Herschel Savage with some good coxmanship here. Yes, he does it i have a feeling just from our pre-podcast talking 
that I might like this slightly more than you do. But I will say that the one thing that I really do like about this is pretty much all of the sex in this film is pretty solid. Yeah, it's all very, it's very nicely shot. and uh, I can definitely see things that are worthy of criticism in this film. Mm-hmm. Because it's kind of duct taped together and not really yeah, well paced. There's some, yeah, there's definitely some problems with it, but I would say um, I, and I liked it overall. But uh, we'll get into that later. Yeah, we'll get into that later. But my point is that you know Herschel Savage and Lisa DeLeo, they're having a good sex scene. Here. Yeah, that's a good. Yeah, no, they have a very good scene. So we cut back to the Sultan and his advisor is still talking about astronomy stuff. The Sultan wants to know if he should march toward the enemy or wait for them to attack. But the advisor isn't really answering that question. He talks about the positions of the planets and Jupiter and Venus and Mars decline and all of this. And the the advisor says, well, this is in decline. And then the Sultan keeps interrupting, saying, which is bad? And the guy says, well... Not exactly, and he never says that anything that he's saying is bad, but eventually gets to basically, he doesn't know. So, this is a complete waste of time for the Sultan from this advisor. So, the Sultan ends up dismissing him, and then asks the servant with him where General Sargon is. Apparently, General Sargon's at his camp, and the Sultan's going to come visit him. The sultan tells his servant to tell the sultana where he's going, but the servant tells him that he will once she returns. Uh, And of course, the sultana is at the camp. Fucking General Sargon. He says she's out for a ride, and boy is she. She sure is, and she is riding Sargon Cowgirl, in fact. She's wearing this weird crown with, like, designs across her forehead and stuff. Yeah, that's her sultan's crown. We see the sultan riding a horse galloping across a beach. Uh, It's worth noting that his face is completely covered in, like, a scarf. So I think this might be a stunt horse rider. Yeah, I think you might be right. I don't know if John Leslie was a famed equestrian or not. (laughs) Uh, Up until this point... Uh, I thought they were going for kind of like a naturalistic sort of thing with the music because there was no music during the uh, Sargon uh, Sultana sex scenes, but there was, but there was during like the Khan's court because there were musicians and stuff. So at first I thought that, but then when he started riding across the beach and they were just blaring this music, I was like, oh, it's just (laughs) like, just maybe just not great sound design editing right. whatever <laughs> we cut to general sargon and the sultana in bed he asks her if she likes surprises and she says yes and then he reveals a gift for her and the gift is joey silvera yes the, the dancing man yeah he he's a dancing boy he's a little leather boy <laughs> he sure is then what kicks in is a sitar version of White Rabbit from Jefferson Airplane. I thought that's what that was. Okay, that's, good. That's what it sounds like to me, yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely. If not a direct lift, definitely heavily inspired by. Right. So, uh, Joey Silvera, the dancing man, drops his robe and he's dancing around in his loincloth. Um And, you know, Sargon and the Sultana are just naked on a bed watching him dance around. 
The Sultana reaches up as the dancing boy gets close and rubs his ass a bit. The dancing continues and Sargon starts to rub the Sultana's clit a bit as they watch the dancer. The dancing boy, while dancing, pulls his cock out and starts to stroke it. Um, his dancing kind of slows down to him just slowly swaying his hips back and forth. Yeah. And uh, the Sultana starts stroking Sargon while uh, Sargon continues to rub her clit. So some mutual masturbation here. We got back to the Sultan who's just riding down the beach doing his thing. Mm -hmm. He's coming. He's a-coming. Sargon and the Sultana continue to pleasure each other. And then the Sultana, as she continues to stroke Sargon, starts to blow the dancing boy. Uh, and she kind of stops stroking Sargon as she focuses on this. But uh, Sargon continues to finger her as she's blowing the dancing boy. Uh, and then Sargon starts to penetrate her from behind as she continues to blow the dancing boy. <laughs> and he has a little cock ring. Oh, yeah, he sure does. It's a little, like, studded leather strap about his genitalia. Yes, he does. <laughs> Uh, we then see the Sultan dismount his horse and approach Sargon's tent. As he's approaching, he hears the Sultana's voice, and his heart sank. He's waiting outside the tent and hears more and more of the Sultana, so he uses his knife to make a small slit in the tent. He sees, as the narration puts it, his most trusted ally, along with his lover, plotting against him. So he watches as Sargon fucks the Sultana from behind as she blows the dancing boy. This goes on for quite a bit, and eventually the Sultana finishes off the dancing boy with her hands, and then Sargon pulls out and comes on her ass. Yes. Oh, I love Lisa DeLeo. Yeah, she's great in this. She sure is. She's fantastic. We see the Sultan gallop away, now aware of their plans. Then we cut to a belly dancer dancing around the Sultan's tent. Uh, The narrator then tells us that his army was victorious, but now the Sultan believes that no women can be trusted. He decided that instead of, uh, you know, maintaining a relationship with a wife, I guess, which they completely don't talk about the Sultana anymore, who knows what happened to her? I think she's dead. I guess she's dead. She He probably killed her and uh, General Sargon. Yeah, they got their heads with... <laughs> so, instead, the Sultan has fallen into this habit where every single night he spends the night with a woman from the harem and uh, afterwards, the woman is strangled. Yes. <laughs> and because of this, now no one can betray him. That's true. These women... There's all dying. So we see the Sultan watching a dancing woman in a silver netted bra as the narrator kind of explains this whole arrangement to us. Every night the Sultan picks a name from a basket of tiles. And uh, it's this night that we're watching where he picks the name of Scheherazade. Oh, yes. So Scheherazade knew what was to come, but promised herself... But this time, things would go differently. Yeah, that's what they all say. So we see her being prepped for the Sultan 
which includes her having her nipples detailed in makeup. Yeah, she's being groomed by this bird-nosed woman. Yes, uh, and I believe this is Fairy Bird, who plays the Tibetan girl, who rubs her legs and begins to softly rub and lick Shaharazad's clit. Yes. Uh, we get to watch this for a bit as jazzy piano music plays. Yeah, this soundtrack has some, like, pure moods, like, new age shit to it. A lot of the film, when I was taking notes, it was about the soundtrack. I don't necessarily necessarily love it, but it's, like, one of those soundtracks that's, like, very present. There's one scene where I found it completely intolerable, and I'll get to that in a minute. But, uh, for now, uh, this was just uh, amusing, I I would describe it. The Tibetan girl who is working with Scheherazade starts to uh, put some oil on her fingers from this goblet and uh, slowly rubs Scheherazade's clit and licks it a bit more. Uh, As it's going, this jazzy piano gets more (laughs) avant-garde, and uh, we get the narrator tell us that as she was being prepared, she devised her plan. She was going to arouse the sultan's curiosity. So we cut to the sultan in his bed waiting alone, and his servant shows up introducing Scheherazade, the woman of the night. She slowly walks in and pulls up a veil, revealing her face, and the sultan is enchanted from moment one. Of course he is. It's Annette Haven. She's lovely. Yes. Scheherazade walks in, slowly approaching the sultan, who invites her to sit down. They exchange some glances, and one of the first things he asks her is how old she is. She says, 19, my lord. (laughs) Of course. Yeah, which, that was something that applied at that point in time, at that (laughs) point in the world. Uh, But yeah, go ahead. She's 19. The sultan says that it's a pity she's so young, and asks how she came to his harem. She says that she was a gift from someone in exchange for safe passage from him, I guess. Um, The sultan mentions that it's custom for his uh, guests to entertain him. So he asks her if she's talented. She says, some say that she is. He asks if she sings. No. Does she dance? No. She tells him that she's known for telling stories that she gathered through her travels. He seems not super interested in this at first, but he goes ahead and invites her to tell a story. So Scheherazade then begins to tell the story of the fisherman. See, the fisherman, his wife, was fat and abusive, basically. Yeah, that's what I've heard. Uh, His only time to relax was while he was fishing. Uh, But the fisherman, every day, would pass the house of a noble woman. And uh, he liked to peep on her, apparently. Yeah, he just watches her. He looks like Barney Rubble. He does look like a little Barney Rubble guy. So he had been peeping on her for a little bit. One of his only joys, the narrator tells us. But this day in particular, the narrator tells us that fate intervened. I guess uh, Scheherazade being the narrator here. Yes. Because it's her story at this point. So It's her tale. We see the woman walking around in her towel that kind of looks like a sheet. Mm -hmm. Towel tech was primitive in these days. Yes. 
Uh, he's watching her from outside wearing his fez. She's painting her toenails with her foot up on a chair and her ass is sticking out. And we get a wonderful shot of sunlight blasting through her bush, lightening it up against the background. Yes, it's a wonderful image. As she goes, she starts to really move her ass and get into it. I think she is, at this point, pleasuring herself, but we don't see that really explicitly here. Mm -hmm. But the fisherman is definitely touching himself through his pants at first. And uh, he finally reaches into his pants and uh, seems to be pleasuring himself as the noble woman is bouncing her butt and getting into it. Shaharazad, as the narrator tells us, that all day while he fished, he thought about what he had seen. He said he took it as a sign of good luck, but all he got for the day was just a copper jar. But he inspected the jar, and eventually smoke poured out. And the smoke eventually became a man, a genie. No. The genie said that he would grant the fisherman two wishes, but then, as is his nature, he will surely kill the fisherman. We don't get to see the genie. We don't. This is all told us in narration. I I, I don't like that. For sure. I want a genie. (laughs) I want Robin Williams. (laughs) I want him now. We're told by Scheherazade in the scene that we don't see (laughs) that the fisherman couldn't help himself and made his first wish. And he instantly appeared in the noblewoman's bedchamber. And uh, we do get to see this. Who cares? I don't want to see a genie. He asked the noblewoman if she knew he was coming, and she says that she saw him this morning, and she had a feeling all of a sudden that he would be back. Mm. She asked him if he, as she says, did it while she was doing it this morning. Mm, He says yes. She asked if he liked to see her do it again, and he says yes. We watch her open her legs and slowly rub her clit as she looks at him. The fisherman slowly reaches down and rubs himself through his pants at first, and then reaches in again. We get some really trippy guitar solo going on through this. It's quite good. Mm -hmm. The fisherman then drops his pants, and we see him stroking his dong. They continue to watch each other and pleasure themselves for quite a bit, actually, here. Uh, Then we get some frantic back-and-forth cuts between them, and then we see him blow his load. Uh, I'm assuming all over the floor. We don't see where it landed, but he's just standing there, so. Uh, he's spilling his seed on the dry ground. Shaharazad. Oh, yeah, I don't like that. <laughs> Shaharazad said the fisherman continued with strength he'd never felt before. The noble woman told him exactly what to do. We see her tell him to bite her, and then he slowly but softly bites and kisses around her neck and works his way down to where she asks him to bite her nipple. Then she tells him to do it harder. He continues to lick and kiss his way down her abdomen, telling uh, as she tells him to kiss her harder. He then starts to go down on her, first very slowly. It's worth noting the noblewoman's wearing this long pearl necklace that like crosses in front of her breasts, 
and then wraps around to her back. It's a pearl harness. More or less, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he goes down on her for what feels like a quite a long time. Yeah, she keeps telling him to go faster and harder, and they get into it. And yeah, they go for a while. Yeah. Uh, the guitar kicks in through all of this, and uh, he gets his fingers into it a bit and keeps at it. Then we see her tied to a chair. Uh, in the narration, Shaharazad says that she taught him to use the rope so that he could tie her up and see what she looked like. We see him approach her and put his fingers in her mouth. Yeah, I do like this. I like the, the tying up and the, the mouth fingering. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's the sound. Shaharazad says, and she let him enter her wherever he liked. Oh, yeah. We see the fisherman fucking her doggy. Uh, I thought this might mean that he was fucking her in the ass, but we don't get to see for sure. Just some doggy sex. Maybe it was anal. I don't know. Maybe it was, like, implied anal. Implied anal, probably. Shahrazad in the narration says, They first made love one way, then another. We see the noblewoman riding the fisherman cowgirl. Then they hear some noise from the other room. It's the noblewoman's daughters. They're home. She asks the fisherman if he would like to meet them, and he says yes. Of course. And uh, she hands him an outfit to put on. And so then the noblewoman brings in her two daughters, who are Alana and Helen. Yes. Helen, uh, Tiger played. Helen played by Tiger. Okay. And I don't know who plays Alana. Uh, Someone else. Lisa Thatcher. Oh, they didn't use like mirrors like in uh, (laughs) Full House. (laughs) We need two Michelles. I don't know that that's what... Is that what happened? Probably. (laughs) I haven't seen it in like a while, so I don't... You know, it's all mixed up in my brain now. Full House stars one Michelle... That is played by twins. There's a time that um, she fell off a horse and got amnesia. And okay. then a second Michelle appeared to her to remind her Ooh. who she was. Oh, okay. Maybe I'm thinking more of like a Lindsay Lohan and Parent Trap situation. That's probably a better <laughs> choice. Okay. That may have been done here at some point, but it's a it's a complicated enough history that I think Lindsay Lohan would have been the better pull. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Leave me alone. (laughs) We have finished two things of beer so far. Yeah, we're deep. Uh, So, anyhow, the noblewoman leads her daughters in and introduces them to our fisherman, telling them that he's a doctor. He asks them which one was older and which one wanted to be examined first. Uh, He asks them to pick what hand a pill is in, and uh, the older of the sisters won and was chosen to undress first. So she undresses, and he says, we'll begin the examination now. So he gets down on the bed and starts to rub her breasts, as most doctors would. Yeah, it's doctors. The sisters then start kissing, as most sisters would. Oh, Uh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, they kiss quick. 
Yeah, they quickly kiss. It's not like they had been like getting into it for a bit, and he was fucking both of them. No, they were... He was just fondling one, and the other one just started kissing her. Yeah, that must be part of their culture. Yes. Uh, yes. And they're exactly. both 18. Yes, that's important to note. That was noted by her. No, it was not that they were both 18. They're both over 18. Okay, great. So they're not necessarily... I don't know that they're twins... Who are both 18. I don't think they're twins at all. I think they're just sisters. Right. I made them twins earlier. Okay. (laughs) In the Lindsay Lohan film. Yeah. Okay. The doctor slides down a bit and starts to uh, touch the girl's vagina. He asks the other sister to help him and be his assistant. Tells her that she must use her finger on her sister's clit. As a doctor would. We get some close-up shots of uh, clit rubbing here. Some very close shots. Uh, It is uh, Tiger's character, Helen, who has gotten multiple fingers in her sister, Alana, at this point. Uh, The fisherman starts to go down on one of the girls. Um, The noblewoman then shows up in a sheer blue robe and tells him to Take them if you like. They're over 18. Oh, yeah, there you go. So he's gotten this deep in, not knowing whether or not they were over 18. And this empowered him to continue as the sisters got on either side of the fishermen and made out with each other while uh, grinding on him. And then they start to take turns blowing him. And then they snowball. Yeah, they finish him off stroking as he spurted on their faces. And in their mouths, and then they snowball back and forth. Wonderful, beautiful stuff. (laughs) They keep at this for quite a while, and we cut back to Scheherazade and the Sultan. She tells the Sultan the fisherman enjoyed himself to the fullest until he was exhausted, drifting into sleep. When he awoke, the king was above him, who said, Tomorrow, and stomped on the ground which opened up and swallowed the fisherman, closing behind him. He then awakened again alone on the beach, and he had to think of his second and final wish. The sultan asks, What is it? She says she can't remember, and asks for him to give her the afternoon to remember it. Oh yeah, she's playing for time. She indeed is. And so the narrator tells us that each night, She would tell the sultan another story, each story leading into another. And so the sultan continued to put off her execution. We see her in her writing process where she's just sitting in the sand writing. And she uh, writes the stories, according to the narrator, of Aladdin and Sinbad and Alibaba and the Forty Thieves. Then we see her writing down, open Salome. And then she says, no... And then she thinks about it, and she comes up with open sesame. Salome. (laughs) Um, That's what the Koreanians say. That is what the Koreanians say (laughs) again and again. Light years and light years. Um, So Scheherazade starts to tell the story of a prince who was given a horse of pure gold, and the horse could carry the prince wherever he wanted at the speed of lightning. One day, the prince found himself thousands of miles from home on the island of Nippon. (laughs) Oh, yes, the glorious island of Nippon. Uh, 
so aka japan for right. our uncultured listeners <laughs> so uh we see the prince who is paul thomas yes oh and i should say i don't know how we haven't covered this at this point uh, just because i just learned it but it seems like something i should have learned in the past uh-huh. considering it's like the only uh musical rock rock opera i like but paul thomas had a starring feature in the 1973 film version of Jesus Christ Superstar. Oh yeah, we were yeah. just talking about yeah, that. Yeah, as the Apostle Peter. So uh, he gets a full song to himself on the uh, on the LP. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, I mean there there's some other people on it, but like it's it's called Peter's Denial. <laughs> so you know. Yeah, that's one of those things I should have known. Like I feel like in reading about him, I, I probably heard that he was in Jesus Christ Superstar. But I don't think that I put it in my head that it would have been, like, the, in a recorded version of it. I thought right. it was just like some a, random... Like a local theater version. Right. You know, he's credited as someone else, so uh, it's like Paul Tabusi or something. So uh, next Easter, put that one on and uh, jacket for the god. And don't forget your raincoat. Oh, God. Oh, wait, it's not time yet. No. Okay. So, uh, Paul Thomas, as the prince, is walking around in basically a cape and a banana hammock. Yeah, he's, uh, I mean, if I were a prince, I guess I would wear basically the same thing. No one would (laughs) stop you. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, but he just wanders into a house and, uh, Mei Lin is laying there in the floor. Uh, Mei Lin is playing the role of Mariko. So the prince reaches down and lightly touches her face and then stands back up to drop his cape in his cock shorts. And uh, he puts himself in bed with Mariko like that's somehow okay. Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> he uh, starts to kiss her and pulls the covers aside. It's at this point that I start to hear this pipe music. Um, it is at least an approximation of uh some sort of asian type of pipe music Mm -hmm. but the actual tones used and the volume of them became so grating on my ears as the scene went on which i thought was a pretty good scene if you take that out but uh it definitely hampered my enjoyment of the scene because i ended up turning my volume down like 10 (laughs) percent Um, yeah, there's a, uh, they went too far east (laughs) and uh, got very annoying with it for sure. So the prince kisses down Mariko's body, licking her nipples and Mariko is half awake pretending she's making love to her, uh, husband Ishido. The prince kisses down her body and starts to go down on her. I guess, like, she's just okay with this. I don't know. I feel like after a bit, she had to figure out something was going on. I think she knows, but she pretends to be asleep to okay. be, like, you know, plausible deniability. Gotcha. That yeah. makes sense. You gotta think about these movies a little more, bud. Yeah, you're right. I'm not... You know, <laughs> you're just, just skimming on the surface like a little mosquito. I'm doing too scum. much typing while I'm watching it Yeah. To- Put thoughts together. That's fair. So, <laughs> uh, after a bit, 
while he's going down on her, she starts to stroke him as uh, her eyes are still closed. And then she rolls over and starts to blow the prince. Uh, it's at this point that the pipe music got so irritating to me, I muted it for a minute. <laughs> uh, we get some of his POV as she's blowing him. She's really taking time to really lick between the sucks. I thought that, in particular, this oral scene was excellent. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that. Uh, Mia Lynn's always pretty good for the oral. Um, yes. She was solid and uh, tasty. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. when yeah. she was in the van. Yeah. And then otherwise, but yeah, good stuff. I think she also did an oral scene in, uh, I think she was in Hot Flashes and did one. Oh, yeah, I think yeah. so, yeah. So, uh, good for her. She hasn't, I've, we haven't seen her in like a starring role yet. Right. There's also like Maylin versus Serena or something we like that. We should watch that. It's Carlos sh- Tobolina, though. Okay, so. that's, we're doing a Carlos Tobolina next week, so we'll space it out a little bit. <laughs> we're just going to only cover Carlos Tobolina from now on. It's a Tobolina fun. <laughs> And you're all invited. <laughs> this will be like our other theme months where our listenership goes down <laughs> with each episode. Uh, so the prince mounts Mariko, uh, holding one of her legs pinned up as she's on her back. And he's uh, going at it for a bit. And then he rolls over sideways and pounds her from the side. She keeps saying Ishido, and finally the prince pulls out and comes on her pubes and pushes back in, giving some more thrusts. But unfortunately, it was at this point that Ishido shows up. And uh, he's got his face painted white in a very kabuki style. He's a samurai. Uh, But he slashes towards the prince with the sword. And then we see the sultan ask, did he escape? And Shahrazad says tomorrow so we learn from the narrator that Scheherazade had traveled the world studied in China and Tibet and she tells the sultan a story about three women but because it was hard to describe things she brought three women from the harem to demonstrate for him so the three women in the story had ingested some sort of substance only meant for priests. And uh, I guess they just tripped balls and had fun. It sounds like it. Uh, It looks like it, too. Yeah. So uh, Scheherazade talks the three women from the harem through this. She says, They ceased to be three bodies and became all mouths and scents and fingers. Uh, We see the servants kissing and caressing one another. They kissed until kissing became torture. We see one of the girls completely naked on the floor while the other two are caressing her, one of them going down on her. The girls continue to kiss and lick and suck on each other as the Sultan and Scheherazade watch. Scheherazade said, No part of their bodies were ignored or escaped kissing. We see some really focused nipple sucking. And then we see two of the girls going down on one on the other. Uh, some 69ing. And uh, it's told as part of the story, one of the girls found an instrument used for other ceremonies yep. and put it to good use. So one of the girls from the harem walks over 
and grabs a mask with a big honking schnoz on the end of it. Oh, yeah, like a, like a Japanese, like, demon kind of mask sort of thing. Yeah, with, like, a six-inch nose or whatever. Yeah. And uh, she walks over to one of the other girls and starts to fuck her with it. With the uh, mask nose. And it was weird, but fun. (laughs) It's a good time. The girls were so lost, apparently, that they didn't hear the guards return. Apparently, afterwards, they were punished. And we see three quick cutaways to asses being slapped. And then we're told that the girls were banished. They each went their own ways, and Shahrazad mentions the youngest went south, but that's a story for another day. The narrator talks about how she told about the magic horse more and how it could travel through time. And then we see the prince from the earlier story show up in France, and I guess like the early 1900s or something. Yeah, it looks like that, like late, yeah, 1800s, early 1900s, some point in there. So he just walks into a room with a French whore who asks for 10 francs, and he doesn't know what francs are, but she tells him to undress and she'll show him. And he does, and she lays back touching herself, and the prince goes down on her. After a bit, he starts to pull off her lingerie and gets on top of her, and they make out. And then he climbs up next to her head and she starts to blow him. He straddles her chest, and she keeps sucking and stroking him. And finally, he finishes on her face and neck, and she licks it up. Then we see Robert show up for Nanette, the woman here. Yes, excellent. But he is shocked to find the prince coming all over her. (laughs) He says, not again, and then Robert shoots at them. Yeah, all of his stories in the same way. (laughs) We're told by the narrator that one night Scheherazade demonstrated her story herself. The Sultan liked this one the best. So we see Scheherazade blowing the Sultan. This goes on for quite a while, but much like with the Maylin scene earlier, I think there's some really solid oral here. Oh yeah, for sure. Ned Haven is a professional of yeah. the highest of the highest uh, caliber. Of the highest caliber, yes. There you go. The narrator tells us uh, about this, and uh, she stops, and the sultan tells her to finish, and she says, tomorrow. So once again, she's dragging things out. The narrator says, somewhere around the tales of the fishermen, the sultan stopped thinking about ending her life. On the 1001st night, she tells the story of the third girl who escaped, the one who had gone south. And apparently that girl was her, Scheherazade. Wow. As she got to the point where she had been telling the Sultan stories. The Sultan asks, what exactly were these stories that Scheherazade told the Sultan? He says, I want to hear them all. She says, shall I begin? And he tells her, begin tomorrow. So she can start all over with the stories again oh yeah and the prince is uh, quite enamored yes he's learned to love again the sultan pulls her towards him and they start to kiss we see him mounting her and fucking her with her leg pulled up and then him fucking her from beside they kiss more and he mounts her missionary 
we get some close-ups of their faces as they get into it. Uh, lots of good reaction shots here. He continues to kiss her chest as he's fucking her. And then we get some shots of the missionary. Uh, shots of them from the side as the camera zooms out slowly. It continues to zoom out further and further until we get outside the tent that the Sultan's in. And then the curtain closes to the tent. And we cut to a card with narration. It says that they married and she became the new Sultana. Their ceremony was a small family affair. <laughs> well, yeah, good for them. And then we get credits. And that was the end of A Thousand and One Erotic Nights. Wow. Well, I'm parched from all that desert intrigue and uh, mystery. All right. Well, let's take a quick break and then we'll be back when you're less parched to wrap it up. I'm going to sweat my whistle. Sweat your whistle. Sweat your swizzle. I'm going to sweat my swizzle. Sweat your swizzle. Based on like a rockabilly song because I'm silly music I know. <laughs> uh, Listeners, like, we need your help. We need you to help us get a TikTok dance craze started. It, yeah. It, we'll call it the Raincoat Report. Yeah, we'll call it something like that. <laughs> I'll just call it the Raincoat and then they'll, they'll figure out where to go from there. Do the Raincoat. Everybody do the Raincoat. Come on, let's rain. Come on, baby. The coat's the thing. Everybody do the raincoat and lose your mind. Everybody do the raincoat. Come on, it's time to put on your raincoat and do the raincoat with me. Um, can that be like my substitute for a review of this film? Uh, yes. Do All you right. want to, do you want to just cut it short and give it a star rating and move on? I give it a three. I think it's a, a fairly average film with, uh, some nice production values and a stellar cast, but I feel like they didn't do too much with it. Fair enough. Not as much as I would like. I'm interested to see the credits and to see how the mighty fall, <laughs> but Jamie Gillis gives a, a gleam of hope. Yeah, we'll we'll have to check it out. So, I'll give a slightly more detailed review. So, I um overall I would say I like this film. There's a lot going on here. I think that it's production value-wise pretty good. Like it's not going to be like a 100 million dollar production as far as historical accuracy and stuff. No, it's not like a Cecil B. DeMille no, not quite. But I think that they do a pretty solid job of just like costuming and yeah. I definitely didn't have locations. Any, yeah, I didn't have any problem with that. Uh, I think something like uh, Ribald Tales of Canterbury does it up a bit more, but that one might have had just a bit more 
money to it. Yeah, I think that I yeah I could agree with that. That like, of course I, I could see that also maybe having a higher budget. Yeah, and but there's, there's just more Renaissance infrastructure in this country than there is uh, <laughs> uh, ancient Arabian times. <laughs> I guess so. Um, we do have quite a, a cast of characters in this film. I mean, on the male side, we've got Paul Thomas and John Leslie mm-hmm. and uh, even Joey Silvera in a small role. Yeah, Herschel Savage, don't forget. Uh, yeah, Herschel Savage, uh, John Martin, who's always popping around in all these movies. Um, and of course, Annette Haven and Lisa DeLeo are great. And we've got Tiger. We've got quite a few others. I mean, all the women in this film are great at what they do. Yeah. Uh, love seeing Lisa DeLeo in it. I wish she'd been in a little bit more. Yeah. But if you can't have Lisa DeLeo, Annette Haven's a nice uh, substitute. Yeah. she they're, they're both lovely. And the other women in this film are lovely. And the guys are quite the coxmen. So <laughs> it all plays out pretty well. Yeah. Um, I will say, though, I mean, I can recognize that it has some shortcomings as far as plot's concerned. Mm -hmm. Like, it's used as a framing device for an anthology film, which is cool, and there's nothing wrong with that. But, like, the wraparound doesn't have any payoff, really. Yeah, there's a bit of a... They start off kind of plot-heavy on the con, and then they kind of just drop that for the most part. Right, and then at the end, it's just like, and they loved each other and lived happily ever after, and that's basically it. He, she, like, they she, do have a sex scene, so it has that above Trashy Lady. Yeah, Although I sure. would say Trashy Lady gets a little little more perverted, and I appreciate that mm-hmm. about it. But this is still nice. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's some great sex in this movie. Quite a cast. The music is up and down because there are some points where I like it, but like I said, there was a point in this movie that I just I had to turn it way down because it's just it's too much. Sometimes people like make movies and they don't recognize that they're just making a bunch of annoying sounds for long periods of time. Yeah, it's tough. But you know, if you're making a trek through the history of hardcore pornography and you came along this film. I mean, there's no reason not to check it out. It's good and entertaining. You won't be bored by it. There's good sex. There's, uh, you know, performances that are good enough, even yeah. if there's not really a whole lot for the actors to <laughs> grab onto. Yeah. And I like that they attempted to adapt some uh, classic material to the uh, pornographic world. That's appreciated. Yeah, for sure. It's good stuff. Yeah. So, uh, I would give it... Three and a half stars. I think that's fair. Uh, I might have liked it just slightly more than you, but I mean, at the end of the day, you know, neither of us hate it, and it's definitely got some shortcomings, so it's the same general range. I think so. So, uh, that's the good stuff. So, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Raincoat Report. Uh, by now we should be unbanned from Twitter. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Uh, <laughs> we're also uh, available via raincoatreport at gmail.com if you want to give us some feedback. We've gotten a few uh, contacts from some listeners who've given us some suggestions. Yeah, and- always open to hearing uh, if you got a movie that's your favorite we haven't talked about yet, you know, yeah, tell us and- about it. 
And if you want to smash walls either at home or let me add something to this, maybe a friend's house. If you're over at a friend's oh, house yeah. if you're and you just want to start pulling up boards in the floor or yeah. smashing their drywall. I think that's good advice because, um, yeah, you don't always want to mess up where you live. It's much better to mess up someone else's house because then you get to leave. <laughs> that's a good point. But sometimes your friend demands that you come back and scrub the vomit out of the little grooves in the wall with like a brush. Um, so there's so there's that. So uh, all in all, I would say try to make a mess outside. Okay. Uh, look in stumps. People used to shove a lot of stuff in stumps. But let me take a step back. Why you're smashing all that stuff and pulling up floorboards is to look for random pornography oh, yeah. that you can send us. I yeah. don't think we had gotten to that. No, we were just we we're just promoting wanton destruction. Yeah, we've we've drank a whole lot of beer tonight, so that's fine. You know why it's fine? Why? Because everybody's doing the raincoat. They do it all night long. They do it everywhere they go, even if it's wrong. Get your hand in your pocket. Get your hand on your dick. Give it a little. Give it a little twist to the raincoat. I do it all night long. I don't forget your raincoat. I put your raincoat on. Can you put like a piano under that? Uh, probably not. Okay, well then there's gonna have to do with my uh, acapella version. It was uh, lovely. It got me hard. Oh great! I love you. Good night. Good night.